This will be the swan song for divisions as we know them in the SEC. Are we shedding a tear? We'll get into that today. On SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network, I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. We'll also discuss the Big 12 heading to Mexico, play some football south of the border, and whether the SEC should follow suit. Also this week, big scheduling development. The SEC will announce on the SEC Network its schedule reveal for the 2024 season. We know that divisions will not be part of that schedule reveal because this season is the final year for divisions in the SEC. John, after Texas and Oklahoma join and begin competition in 2024, divisions will be a thing of the past. They started in 1992 as a way for the SEC to conduct a conference championship. NCAA rules no longer require divisions to have a conference title game, so the SEC is is joining some others other leagues and moving away from divisions. Will you uh, will you be shedding a tear or pouring one out for divisions after this season? <laughs> well, it just gotten so familiar, the, the divisional play did, and, and I'd been covering the league long before it went to divisions. And uh, what I guess I'll miss the most is Tennessee versus Florida in the East. Because when, when they first went to divisional play in 92 – Tennessee and Florida weren't really rivals. They didn't play that much, but it just happened. It coincided with the new alignment that Tennessee got very good in the nineties. Steve Spurrier went to Florida. So that was, that was such a big game and it was played early in the year. And that, that just, that increased the stakes. It was, if you lost that game, you were playing catch up for the rest of the season. If you were trying to win a division and sometimes you could lose and still win the division. And in Florida, of course, was more dominant, won four straight championships uh, during that uh, SEC championships in the mid-90s. Um, but I just kind of – I really enjoyed that series. A lot of wild things happened in it. Steve Spurrier was in his prime, uh, making fun of Tennessee, taking a jab at Georgia now and then. Uh, Florida really ruled the East back then. But some of those Tennessee-Florida games, I still remember a game, I think it was 97 game. Florida was coming off a national championship in 96 and uh, playing Tennessee at home. And that's the loudest crowd in the, I've ever heard at a game, pre-game. It was just a constant roar. And it was hard talking to the person next to you. It was open-air stadium in the swamp. One of the things that with the East, I guess I'm focusing on the East a little bit, but the fact that you got to play Kentucky and Vanderbilt, you could count on Vanderbilt being down, and Kentucky was down a lot of times. So for other teams in that division, well, win three or four non-con, win four non-conference games, and then they and take those two, Kentucky and Vanderbilt, and you're playing, you're playing in a bowl. Hallelujah. So uh, that was sort of an interesting, it, it wasn't for the elite programs. They weren't concerned about such matters. And, and I think the LSU-Alabama was already a rivalry. That enhanced the rivalry. So there were some good things about it. But the, the West kind of got mm, way ahead there for a while. And it was it, clearly the better division. 
And in a lot of years, John, what divisions resulted in was that the two best teams in the conference were not actually playing in the conference championship. You know, so many years, um, particularly recently, the two best teams in the conference, I think you could have said, were both in the West. Now, with Georgia rising to prominence uh, the past couple seasons, that wasn't the case. Georgia, you know, ranked not only among the two best teams in the conference, but they were the best team in college football the past two seasons. And actually last year, the two best teams in the conference were both in the East. It was was Georgia and Tennessee. Tennessee beat Alabama. Tennessee beat LSU. The conference championship was Georgia LSU because of the division structure. But the results on the field said that the two best teams last year were in the East. Oftentimes that script had been flipped over the years, but the bottom line is in many years, uh, you did not always get what you felt like were the two best teams in Atlanta for whatever that meant. I I don't know that a lot of people were necessarily totally hung up on that. Um, You know, divisions for a long time were required to have a conference championship. So that's just sort of the way it went. You you knew you weren't always going to get the two best teams, but you were going to get the best team out of each division. Whereas now, you know, starting in 2024 with a unified 16 team conference, it's still no guarantee you're going to get the two best teams because unless you play a round robin schedule, you really can't you can't ensure that. Some of this is going to be on sort of the whims of scheduling, but it is a a greater chance, I think a much greater chance that you'll get the two best teams in Atlanta for the conference championship. We also know that the 12 team playoff will be in place by then. So really, the conference championship will become about determining the bye. I think most years, if you make it to Atlanta as one of the top two teams in the conference, you're going to the playoff win or sure. lose. But there still will be a lot on the line because the winner of that game as a as a conference champion becomes eligible for a bye into the quarterfinals. Remember, the byes are not just reserved for the top four seeds. Uh, you have to be a conference champion to get a bye in this 12-team playoff. So it'll still be an important game, just a little bit of a of a different twist on it. Yeah, we got some really uh, one-sided championship games. SEC is not the only conference where that happens. It seems as though in in divisional play, even in the Big Ten, the the East is top-heavy with talent, uh, the West not so much. But we also got some really good games. Uh, The first one between Alabama and Florida. Uh, Alabama went on to win a national championship. Game went down to the wire. There were a couple of other games that were really memorable. In 2008 and 2009, Alabama and Florida played back-to-back. In eight, that was a stepping stone for Florida to move on to the national championship game, uh, which it won. Um, But then in 2009, Alabama really put it on Florida. Both of those are Tim Tebow, were Tim Tebow teams. And Florida had so much talent in 09, and I was expecting a tremendous game. And it wasn't that at all. Florida looked so bad. And I remember looking down on the field as Florida was fading very fast. It was very obvious Alabama was winning that game. And looking down there and and Urban Meyer with my binoculars and looking at Urban Meyer on the sidelines, and I thought, he looks physically ill. Uh, it turns out I was a pretty good doctor on that day because he went into the hospital. And uh, <laughs> Did you notify anyone, John? A, a good humanitarian like you, I would have thought uh, you might have. And I know how good of a relationship you have with Urban. Um, 
did you not raise the alarm maybe with Urban or members of his family or pass this along? Or you just kind of held on to this information selfishly and thought, well, come what may for Urban, I'm not going to put this out there into the universe. No, as always, I put my column above everything, not me personally, but the column. And I was on deadline. And so I didn't even make an effort to find the Florida media relations person and say, Urban Meyer looks like he could die any minute. Uh, could you get emergency up down there on the sidelines? And so I just, I was so consumed with deadline. It, it's just the nature of what we do. And that kind of, that kind of overrides everything. Uh, by happenstance, my wife, Melinda was a huge Florida fan when Tim Tebow was there. Yes. Melinda, Melinda loves those bandwagons. She's never yes, seen a yeah. bandwagon drive by. She didn't want to jump on. Has she? No, she, she's a big Southern Cal fan when it went back to back national titles. She only likes teams that are dominant. Winning a championship is not nearly enough. You have to dominate opponents. And so she loved Tebow and she was there at the game and, I bought her a ticket. She's sitting by herself. It was right on the edge of the Florida, where the Florida fans were by happenstance, but then right across the aisle were Alabama fans. And that game was not going well. And Melinda didn't stick around for the finish because when the cameras focused on Tim Tebow in tears and showed on the big screen and Alabama fans applauded very vociferously that was melinda's exit cue and her hatred for alabama soared at that moment well, that's okay there, there's room for her on the georgia bandwagon maybe at, <laughs> i <laughs> think she's moment. starting to like georgia a little more now uh, it's funny how that works uh-huh john the, the division sort of giveth and taketh away you mentioned um you know, how divisions really helped fuel the Florida-Tennessee rivalry in the 90s. Uh, on the flip side of that, divisions interrupted some series. If you, if you talk to Florida and Auburn fans, they really miss that game as an annual installment. Of course, those, those schools are not that far apart. Um, in the Florida Panhandle in particular, you can find, well, you can find fans of a lot of SEC teams, but in particular, you see a lot of Auburn fans, a lot of Florida fans in the Panhandle. That was a that was a big rivalry game. It wasn't the marquee rivalry game for either school, but that was a really important game on both teams' schedules. Well, you know, because of of the divisions and because of some changes the SEC had in the way it structured its interdivision series, um, in 2003, that game stopped being played on an annual basis, and they have met much more infrequently in the years since that because of the division structure. So that rivalry sort of got downplayed because of divisions, but then it helped spawn new rivalries. You mentioned Florida, Tennessee. I also think, you know, even though Florida and LSU started playing regularly dating back to what the fifties, I think um, I, I really feel like divisions and those teams being earmarked as, as cross divisions rivals really kind of helped pour some fuel on the fire of that series and so it will be interesting how this affects kind of the rivalry nature, not the Iron Bowl, not the Egg Bowl. You know, getting rid of divisions aren't going to change that. Those games are going to be played annually, regardless of what schedule format the SEC uses. The cocktail party, Florida, Georgia, that's getting played annually. But some of these teams that you played every year in divisions now and some rivalries formed, you'll now go to playing those teams, you know, two times in a four-year span uh, regardless of whether the SEC sticks with eight games or eventually goes to nine, 
some of those old division foes you're not going to see every year. So I, what, what do you make of that? Is that okay that, that some of these division series will, will not be happening every year in the future? It, it bothers me a little bit, but I've got so accustomed to change, um, adjust and adapt. And uh, so that's kind of what I do and say, okay, say goodbye to that. Series. It's funny. It seemed as though LSU had a lot of rivalries. Uh, I mean, they had a they had some really good games with Auburn uh, during this period. Alabama, of course, those teams went to head to head when they were competing for national championships. But LSU and Ole Miss, that rivalry goes way back forever. I mean, LSU and Ole Miss was a huge rivalry, uh, bordering states. And LSU and Mississippi State was kind of a at times, that was an interesting rivalry because Mississippi State usually caught LSU at the right time, and it it was very competitive. Pulled off some uh, major upsets along the way against LSU, and you know LSU and Mississippi are right there together. I grew up thirty miles from Baton Rouge, and I was only twenty miles from the Baton Rouge, from the Mississippi border, so I was really aware of the Mississippi teams and some of the people uh, from my hometown went to played at Mississippi state and, uh, some went to LSU, but it was, so I was just very conscious of that rivalry. Maybe it's not as significant elsewhere, but I kind of like the cowbells too. So, uh, yeah, you just have to, uh, I guess the best way to look at it is, well, maybe there'll be new rivalries. Yeah. I think that's part of the exciting part of, of getting rid of, uh, divisions and, and Oklahoma and Texas coming board is, is the potential for new rivalries to form as I was sort of mocking up a wish list for games I'd like to see in 2024. Um, one that popped up on my list was, was Georgia, Oklahoma. You have this traditional blue blood of the sport in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, one of the most storied programs in college football history and then you have the program in Georgia that's currently atop the sport, two-time defending national champion. Um, both programs, you know, typically punch in the heavyweight class, and yet throughout history, they've they've met on the field just one time. You know, one time ever have have those programs played. The the opportunity to create more matchups like that, you know, more frequently. Um, you know, even Alabama, Georgia, now. You know, they, they play so infrequently in interdivision games now that, that to see those teams square off, to see those two powers play, it has to either come in Atlanta or the college football playoff. Not anymore after divisions. They're going to start playing much more frequently, and we'll find out if, if they're on the 2024 schedule when that's revealed uh, on Wednesday night. I mean, a series like uh, Tennessee Ole Miss. You know, if you live in, in Memphis, Tennessee, Tennessee Ole Miss, they are very much on your radar. That's kind of a city divided. If, you, if you're not rooting for the Memphis Tigers, you're probably rooting for Tennessee or, or Ole Miss. And we saw in 2021 with Lane Kiffin coming back to Neyland Stadium just how heated that rivalry. I don't know if you can call it a rivalry, but it was that night. Lane Kiffin got hit with a golf ball from the from the stands as a deluge flooded onto the field. So no, Nobody shouted for just, yeah, <laughs> yeah he was not warned. So I, I do think, yeah, some games will be lost at least on the, on an annual basis, but something something will be gained too, and that might sort of balance the scales. I think one of the best uh, best assets with this new with the new alignment for fans is a lot of fans travel, and they'll get to go to new places. 
I mean, uh, our Georgia fans, you mentioned Georgia playing Oklahoma. I've covered a few games at, in Norman, Oklahoma. And as you mentioned, that program, it's got so much history, so many great players, so many championship teams or cha- near championship teams. And, and it's been involved in some of sports' greatest rivalries, Oklahoma and Texas, the Red River Shootout, of course. And then Oklahoma-Nebraska was was a storied rival as well, rivalry as well one time. So, yeah, I think Georgia fans would like going to Oklahoma. Hey, Georgia fans, I don't think they've even – has Georgia even been to Texas A&M? I don't – under this uh, new schedule, I don't think it has. No, there. that's one of the series that sort of illustrates just how long you can go uh, yeah. in this current interdivision setup uh, between – between seeing a team in, in the opposite division. That's that's the one that's that's infamously quoted uh, is that series. Now, Texas A&M's gone to Georgia. They were there in 2019. But Texas A&M, which has been in this conference since 2012, uh, Georgia has never played a game in, in College Station, Texas. And it's just, it's crazy that they could be in this conference for more than a decade, yet Georgia has not made the trip to Kyle Field. Yes, it's, it's games like that that are going to happen on a much more regular basis, but it comes at the expense of say Georgia, Tennessee playing every year. That's not going to happen anymore. Um, you know, starting in 2024, they'll still play. Everybody's going to play at a minimum of twice in a four year cycle, regardless of schedule format. The sec has committed to that. It's going to average out to you're, you're playing uh, your non rivals once every two years, but it's not going to be like these annual dates of, say Georgia Tennessee that's that's going to go by the wayside in favor of more frequent matchups like Georgia Texas ain't it well the gnashing of teeth over this uh, new alignment gets you nowhere just need more dental work so I I would uh, I think it's best to just embrace it it's going to happen and so looking forward to seeing teams that you might never have seen uh, in a stadium uh, and uh interacting with fan bases in the sec uh funny i i remember my first trip covering a game at missouri uh was that wasn't an overwhelmingly positive experience it was a certainly not the uh the uh, slop trough you had there the press box food in missouri known for being abysmal i know it's not uh not gourmet but uh, I do remember they picked us up where we parked our car in Media Park. They picked up picked us up, I guess, on golf carts and took us to the press box. I really like that. We're easily pleased in our work. Anything of that nature that helps make our job a tiny bit easier, we welcome. And so, but what impressed me was how nice the fans were, because that's just not that's not SEC football. You yeah, just, Midwest uh, hospitality, John, is a yes, real thing. I Midwest. say that as a yeah, native Midwesterner. Yes, it was. So I was I was impressed by that, and, and it was a small crowd compared at most SEC venues, but it was an experience. So uh, yeah, and so it was. And I have covered games at Oklahoma. I've been to Texas Stadium, but never covered a game there. Uh, I just think fans will enjoy. Alabama fans, well, they, I guess they went to, was that game last year in Austin? It was. It was, yeah. Yeah. So uh, LSU in Texas, that's uh, uh, 
that could become a real uh, battle uh, because, again, growing up in Louisiana, Texas was always bigger, better, richer, more of everything, and and we're kind of the stepchild of states compared to Texas. So you kind of always, I always kind of followed the Southwest Conference because it was so, it was so close, and Texas was a a power when I was a kid. So yeah, that was all the idea of LSU playing Texas was such a big deal. Yeah. I think there's going to be about 15 sec fan bases that uh, are going to consider Texas a rival. I mean, that's, that's that program that's easy for opposing fan bases Uh to hate on. You know, they, they've been mockingly saying for 15 years now, Texas is back. back. And you know, if you're a Texas fan, you love your longhorns, right? You, you got a wardrobe full of that burn orange, but if you're an opposing fan, I think, I think Texas is just going to get under the skin of say an LSU fan or an Alabama fan or on down the line, a Tennessee fan. I think, I think the Texas Longhorns are getting get under the skin of those fan bases in the sec a little bit more than say Oklahoma will. Now you might be irked when, when Oklahoma comes into your house and beats you, but I don't think they're going to, going to annoy you the way that Texas will. I, I'm telling you, I think there's going to be about 15 schools in the SEC, meaning all of them that aren't Texas, that uh, that feel like Texas is a rival once they're in the conference. I think Alabama then will welcome the animosity shifting elsewhere. Uh, they Alabama's could. Alabama's kind yeah. of been that program. Right. Um, I, I think with, uh, yeah, you're right. The thing about Oklahoma, it's, Texas is just so vast. I mean, it's it's like a country unto itself, unto itself, and 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 a lot of people there, they say I'm a Texan. I'm. They don't say I'm an American. Proud to be an American. Proud to be a Texan. And you don't mess with Texas. And I love I love Texas. I lived there for three years. So, uh, yeah, I I welcome Texas in here, and I, I think it will add a lot to the conference. But you're right. It kind of has more of the the image, but not the substance that Oklahoma football has right now and has had. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a decade when Oklahoma didn't compete. It wasn't in the running for a national championships championship. And if if things don't go well there, they will be as quick on the trigger as Auburn as far as dismissing coaches and hiring new ones. Yeah, I think it does somewhat come down to substance with with Texas. And I go back to a, a comment from former Texas athletic director uh, DeLos Dodds in 2013 when he said that Texas's bad seasons were better than Missouri's good seasons. Well, since DeLos Dodds made that comment, well, first of all, he's no longer Texas's athletic director. Second of all, Missouri has a better record since that 2013 comment from the lost odds. So that, that does sort of illustrate, you know, with Oklahoma, you know, at least they have some substance to back it up. Texas, they may, or they may not. Although I think that, you know, quietly within the sec, there's a lot of folks in head coaching chairs and athletic director chairs that, uh, that I think quietly believe, quietly believe Texas is, is on the verge of, of becoming a, a real force. There's certainly a revenue juggernaut and, uh, you know, if you if you make the kind of money that Texas has and has their type of resources, it does seem like it's only a matter of time before it comes together on the field. Before we before we change gears, John, and get to the 
the Big 12's desire to get south of the border and start playing American football in Mexico, wanted to run this past you. I recently had separate conversations um, with two high-ranking athletics administrators at different schools, and in those separate conversations, both administrators said that folks like us in the media make a little too much out of the importance of preserving secondary rivalries. You know, let's say a, a game like Alabama-Tennessee or um, Georgia-Auburn, which which the SEC has worked so hard for years to, to keep those rivalries going, even in different divisions. And, and, and both those administrators said, you know, the media makes so much of a big deal about those secondary rivalries that, you know, yes, you, you, you can't get rid of the, the, the primary games. You can't get rid of the Iron Bowl, the Egg Bowl. But that fans are going to be okay if those secondary rivalries start occurring once every two years because there's going to be, as we've been talking about here, other great matchups take their place. Do you buy that? Do you think fans are going to be okay with some of those secondary rivalries taking a little more of a backseat on an annual basis? Long time, Long term, yes. Going in, no. Uh, quite the opposite in terms of media. And I wrote a column several years ago about what a disadvantage Tennessee was in the in the East, competing in the a- East and having to play Georgia every year, which was getting good. And then Alabama every year is your permanent rival from the West. And the response was overwhelming. We, from Tennessee fans, we want to play Alabama every year. That's... I mean, it was very uh, one-sided, and there the fans were very passionate about that. Now, if you're playing every two years, it's not like it's not like Nebraska versus Oklahoma, and it's just done, uh, right? So there, there's probably something to that. Uh, people will, people love college football, and whatever college football they can get they'll take and it it doesn't mean tennessee alabama they won't like it initially but as you said there is a plus side of going to different venues and seeing different places and experiencing different football cultures um i even uh i like the the mascots i like the idea of the sooner schooner rolling into the sec uh the sooner schooner meets ugga yeah, it's. I like that. Those are two of my favorite mascots. We so. we need to have you rolling in to this podcast one week on the Sooner Schooner. You you love that thing. I bet I bet that that makes an appearance in fifty percent of our of our podcasts. Is, is it a probably reference. does? Yeah, yeah. I'm just. I, it's, it's always front of mind for you. I know. It's like, uh, and that just goes way back. Uh, I remember. You know, the first game I ever watched on TV was Notre Dame snapped Oklahoma's 47-game winning streak. First college football game I saw on TV. And uh, it, it just – I know Notre Dame is considered the national program, but when you look at – and I know Alabama's been the most dominant lately, but you go back over the course of college football history, Oklahoma's always been around and always been a significant player, I think. So – I really like having Oklahoma in the SEC. John, I can't confirm this, but uh, anecdotally, I've been told we have a lot of listeners that find us from down in Mexico. And so I do want to get on to our, our next topic. And, and that is uh, Brett Yormark, the uh, 
the conference commissioner at the Big 12. He, he's just coming up with with all kinds of ideas. He sort of reminds me uh, at least of, I didn't know P.T. Barnum personally, but of what I've read about P.T. Barnum and depictions I've seen. You know, we've got a modern-day P.T. Barnum here and Brett Yormark at the, at the Big 12, just willing to try a little bit of everything, it seems like, to keep his conference relevant. And now the latest we're hearing is that the Big 12 is is in the works to make a bowl game happen starting in 2026 in Mexico. Monterey, Mexico is uh, where the Big 12 wants to play a bowl. Now, we don't know what league they'll be linked up with or what this bowl will be will be called. It's not finalized yet, but a few years from now, postseason football be headed to Mexico. What do you think of this? Do you, you hope the SEC gets paired up with the Big 12 there? And would you be uh, signing up for a, a, a trip to cover that bowl game down in Monterey? I, I took a vacation to Mexico just last month in Cancun. Had a great time. So maybe they'll send me down there to cover that bowl. Well, maybe they will. And I will be uh, competing with you for that travel spot. Uh, it's uh, Mexico's off my travel list. Uh, as far as that, uh, you brought up P.T. Barnum. Didn't he say a sucker's born every minute? <laughs> or maybe that was Brett Yormark that said that. <laughs> I, I get him confused. Yeah. Well, I, I do admire because the Big 12 has kind of been uh, shoved to the side off, off center stage. And like it's such a loosely knit conference from all over. the. So what he has done and take what appears to be a, a, a liability uh, with you, these far flung schools. It's kind of ever since it, the old Big Eight went away and the Southwest Conference uh, uh, disappeared. It's just loosely, you go from Iowa State to Texas Tech, and now you're bringing in Cincinnati and BYU. It's it's just, talk about rivalries. That is not a rivalry-laden conference. No, but he's kind not. of, he's turning this, he's making it sound instead of like, yeah, we don't have much, there's no real connection between this program. It's just a bunch of, bunch of schools we just threw together, pulled out of a hat, and here they are. And he's going the other way. So we're national conference, see, mm-hmm. national, not regional. SEC's regional, Big Ten's regional. No, not the Big Twelve. It's national. And now he's saying we're not just national; we're international. I say play a game in Ireland. Who who would you like to see from the Big Twelve in Ireland? Play What's the average no. temperature there in Ireland in a for a late December bowl game? Uh, I went I there. Cold weather sport, bundle up, be fine, right? Um, I was there in the summer, and it was uh, definitely jacket weather with a nice wind coming at you. So, yeah, it could uh, might want to might want to open the season there. Maybe uh, last week of August, and uh, who would we send there? How about uh, Notre about, Dame played there recently? Maybe they yeah, can. Yeah, they'll I agree would, to play an SEC team over in Ireland. Yeah, they could uh, or or a Big Twelve team. Or a Big Twelve certainly. team. Yeah, send uh, send BYU over there. They they travel. I, I just have the idea of BYU playing a bowl game. BYU from the Big Twelve, still getting used to that in the first place. But then BYU representing the Big Twelve in a bowl game in Monterey, Mexico. I mean, nothing says college football like BYU playing. Uh, Playing in some yet to be named bowl down in Monterey, Mexico. So, okay, I can't, I can't get you on board with going to cover that game. I'm fine with covering that game. I'd, I'd like to travel to, 
to Monterey. That's that's fine with me. But uh, we don't know that who's going to be paired with the Big 12 in that bowl. So let's say it's not the SEC. I don't find it overwhelmingly likely that the SEC will be signing up to play in this Monterey Bowl. Um, so if not Mexico, if, if the SEC wanted to take its show on the road, John, we've seen bowl games played, and there's one down in the Bahamas. I'd love to cover that one. doesn't involve the SEC. I've never been there. There used to be bowl games in Canada. I don't think they'd go on anymore, but there used to be at least one bowl game in Canada. But if the SEC was going to take its show on the road and borrow a page from P.T. Barnum's book, excuse me, Brett Yormark's book, and they they wanted to, to go international with their postseason schedule, what would have you interested? What would have you go into the powers that be at Gannett and saying, buy me a plane ticket. I'm going over there to cover it. Well, I might settle for a shorter trip. I might want to go to Toronto. I like the city, Toronto, uh, play there in, uh, September, late August. Oh, that's, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bowl game. No, you can't play. (laughs) Never he used to play the International Bowl in, in Toronto. That was one of the Canadian Bowls. That, I don't know if there was another Canadian Bowl or not, but I know the, the International Bowl was in, in Toronto for a few years. So Yeah, Shreveport, has... yeah Shreveport's too cold for me in January. Uh, let's see. Where would we go? Gosh. How about Some... Australia? How about Australia? We, we're seeing more and more Australian presence in college football. I believe Australia outnumbered Canada last year for the most players on division one rosters. Of course, how many of those guys were kickers and punters? Probably most of them, but that's become like a hotbed. You need a punter. You go over to Australia and you come back with somebody from Sydney or Perth or Melbourne. How about playing a, a bowl game in in Sydney from, from the sec and you can go over there and recruit a punter while you're there. Well, one of the, one of the punters over there is apt to, uh, sneak onto the plane and hide there in baggage and come back to the good old US of A. Now that I think about it more, I would probably uh, probably go with Vietnam, play a bowl game in Vietnam. Now you served in the military, John. Is, yeah. Uh, so, you, you weren't sent there, were you? No, I wasn't. And for that, Thank I'm God. forever grateful. Yes. And some of my friends were, but um yeah, I just saw it. And so that that Vietnam, because Vietnam was so prominent in my mind, as in, I don't want to go there. Uh, it would kind of be a nice twist to cover a game there. Also, there is a connection in that our, uh, our tech support team worldwide with Gannett is spread all over the globe. And you can, I've talked to someone from Vietnam and Cambodia a country that sort of had a presence during the Vietnam war. Uh, haven't connected with anybody from Laos, but, uh, yeah, so that would probably be my pick. And I don't, and you know, I don't like cold weather. I don't Mm -hmm. think that would be a factor in Vietnam. Would it be the, the jungle bow? You know, of all the things I was predicting you would say, John, (laughs) uh, a SEC team playing a bowl game in Vietnam and you volunteering to be sent over there so you could get some tech support. Um, that was uh, that was not on my bingo card. I, <laughs> I got to say, you stumped me on on that one. Uh, I would I, I know you're a lover of the beach. I thought maybe you would have 
picked out somewhere down there in the Caribbean or gone for my idea of playing in Australia. Vietnam, that one took me aback. Well, I am a birder, so perhaps uh, Brazil might be a nice spot. Oh, okay. Uh, Birding-wise, probably the best country would be Ecuador. Uh, Crime can be an issue there from time to time, but I assume we would have good security for a bowl game. The Ecuadorian bowl. Quito. Again, another, another one that would not have been... Okay, on I'll my, give you. On my hey, I'll card. give you one. Okay, let's play on the uh, French Riviera. How about that? Okay, I can, I can parlay La France. So, uh, yeah, let's go to, go with that. They'd have to send me because I can speak the lingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've looked it up, John. Average temperature in Ireland in December is forty-five to fifty degrees. That's now, not sure bad the, at all. Yeah, I'm sure the wind is howling at 30 miles an hour. Yeah, it's a uh, hundred mile an hour wind, but still. Yeah, uh, so that that might your, your initial idea might might be doable. Might be doable. Yeah, uh, and, Ireland bowl game, especially you, you you make it you make it so where it's like the the low tier team. You know, they play some of those bowls a little earlier in the calendar. Maybe you catch some some late fall weather. Play the bowl game about mm, December 15th, let's say. You're you're seven and five SEC team playing against one of the best from the group of five over in an, over in an Ireland bowl. Yeah, I and I love Ireland. I was there for two weeks in 2019. Went all over the country. I love the people are great. Um, it, it's just a very inviting country. So that would be terrific. Uh, maybe who who would you? I, that's a kind of bowl that I could see Kentucky slipping into. Oh yeah, yeah. You I know, could see them being a regular in, yeah. in the Ireland, Ireland Bowl. Maybe it on a rare occasion, every every ten or twelve years, you'd get uh, Commodores would uh, cross the big pond over there and play some football. Mm-hmm. Another another good recruitment trip, I think. So yeah, John, uh, getting away from our our tours around the uh, tours around the globe. The, the schedule reveal on on Wednesday night from the SEC. So depending on when whether when you're listening to this, it's it's either happened or it's or it's happening within the uh, the next 36 hours, depending on uh, what day it is as you listen to this. But it's it's scheduled for Wednesday night on the SEC network. Of course, you know we got to do this television show style like we did in 2020 when they scrapped the schedule and and the SEC got to play matchmaker with a new one they revealed on on the network, but. You know, we really don't know how the SEC is going to go with this. We know, I mean, of course, the Iron Bowl is going to be on the schedule. Of course, the Egg Bowl is going to be on the schedule. It, Greg Sankey's not just going to completely lose his mind and, and forget to schedule those games. But beyond that, the only real parameters we've been told for this eight-game conference schedule in 2024 is that fairness, balance will be kept in mind and that rivalries will be kept in mind. So what do you think? Is Is there going to be... You know, the the huge outcry from fan bases around the conference that, you know, such and such team got it so easy and, and such and such team got stacked a murderer's road deck. Do you think the SEC goes easy on some of its top schools as the, as they play scheduling overlord here and, and somehow Georgia and Alabama just get cupcake schedules for 2024 so they can coast into the national championship? Um, or do you think this is a chance where the SEC strikes back a little bit and says, hey, you didn't vote for a nine-game schedule, league presidents and chancellors? Well, that's fine. We're, we're not going to 
take it easy on you in this hate gamer. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you see Alabama and Georgia playing on a, on an early, uh, October day in Tuscaloosa. And one of those teams exits with a loss before Halloween hits. Yeah, I don't see any retribution here. The SEC is all about getting its best teams in the playoffs, and I think that will prevail in the scheduling. Uh, in the past, and this is kind of a brave new world, in the past, uh, no team has played one conference school twice in a season, but if Georgia and Alabama and maybe LSU or even Tennessee uh, all play Vanderbilt twice, that would pretty much take up Vanderbilt's schedule, enhance those teams' chances of being in the playoffs. So, again, this is a new deal, and we have to be prepared for the unexpected and, in some cases, the unfair. Yeah, so you think you think the SEC, the, the, the scheduling overlords working behind the curtain as we speak here, are putting the finishing touches on, on the easiest schedules coming the way of the best teams in the conference because that's not the way it was going to be if the nine game schedule gained approval those those better teams in the league were going to have their rivals tilted a little more in the robust direction and your Vanderbilts of the world were supposed to be earmarked for a little bit easier collectively at least a little easier collection of three rivals but you think in this this one stop one year stop gap of the eight year, eight, the eight game schedule in twenty four that that the SEC is going to going to go easy on the top dogs. Well, it just makes sense. I mean, you want to make a. This is the first opportunity to get more than two teams in a playoff, and I think the t- uh, the SEC will do that. Uh, for example, if you if you lose to Alabama and Georgia, assuming they will be the top two teams, that's a fairly prevalent assumption now uh then you lose to those two teams it's almost when the rest of them it's almost like those losses don't count if they're the in fact the two best teams so uh, i expect to see at least three teams in the college football playoffs and i mean you know what the sec it's it talks a lot about tradition rivalries and all that kind of stuff but it occasionally drops uh mentions money Uh, occasionally that comes up and I think that will come up in the discussion. More teams in the playoff, more money, and also more prestige. All right, I'm going to give you my dream matchup right out of the gates in 2024. First conference game of the ski season. Doesn't ne- Probably not in week one. SEC is not big on playing conference games in week one. But this, I want this earmarked for September. I want an 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff. First one out of the shoot conference game in 2024. I don't think you'd guess it, John. I'll just give it to you. Vanderbilt at Texas. Texas's first game as an SEC member. They're they're hosting Vanderbilt. Now you say, Blake, you're crazy. Why the heck do you want to see Vanderbilt at Texas? Those 15 fan bases I talked about that are going to love to hate on Texas. They will all be fans of the Doors that day. And if somehow some way Texas lost at home to Vanderbilt in their SEC opener. Can you just imagine the reaction from coast to coast, uh, the, the vitriol and the mockery that would be coming at Texas and, and Clark Lee. I mean, heck, you know, he, he'd 
declare the Commodores national champions right then and there. Give them, give them yes. the crown. Um, a dynasty is born, I think, would be his first comment post-game. Um, yeah, I would probably like to see something a little more competitive. But if I were going to send out Vanderbilt somewhere, it would probably be to Oklahoma because Oklahoma has a long history of running up monstrous scores on teams. So you don't want to see Vanderbilt pull the stunning upset on the newcomer. No. You want to see Vanderbilt fall victim to an 80-point defeat against a newcomer. Yeah, I mean, I just threw the years. That's too harsh I, I, on the Commodores. I, I thought you cared deeply about the fine folks over there at Vanderbilt. Well, it's a, and I live in Tennessee, so it's an in-state school, and there is that affinity, but uh, gosh, it's... Uh, Maybe if Oklahoma brings back the wishbone and and uh, uh, opens up, pulls back the curtain and lines up in an O's, uh, wishbone with three future NFL running backs and uh, uh, one of those uh, great quarterbacks uh, that can run it, that would be that would be a lot of fun. You know, though the way Oklahoma looked last year, you, you might get the upset you want. It might be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It might, might be doors be, over Sooners. Huh? might be doors over Sooners. If that happened, of course, Brent Venables would be dismissed immediately after the game, perhaps at halftime if it were, things were going badly. He might be shot into the sun, not just pink slipped. They might he, just load him would, up into the into the cannon and adios, Brent. There was, you know, you mentioned the Mex the bowl in Mex playing in Mexico, not a bowl, playing in Mexico with the Big 12. I can remember when Oklahoma was uh, in Texas were fighting over Billy Sims, uh, running back who pr proved to be worth fighting for. And there was a story about Oklahoma hiding him out in Mexico during the the most crucial days of that recruitment. So there would be a would be a connection there. Uh, I'd kind of like to see LSU and Texas kick it off. Right out of the shoots, 11 a.m. Yeah. special down in Austin. Yeah, or maybe. Are you saving that for prime time? Yeah, I guess you it might. can't really be prime time if you're kicking it off. No, not that. No, not that early. Uh, you know, uh, you wouldn't like to see Missouri. You once covered the Tigers have renew its uh, old alliance with one of the big twelve powerhouses. No, I've got that eighty point drubbing to Oklahoma earmarked for uh, maybe for Thanksgiving week. Texas will be otherwise occupied with Texas A and M. I would I would hope on that Thanksgiving week. Uh, you'd have to, you know, the almighty uh, border war or battle. Excuse me, the border war. Yeah, you know, they don't play Kansas anymore. Uh, the battle line rivalry. Excuse me, with the uh, uh, the trophy that weighs four four and a half metric tons um, that it takes a crane to lift. That's normally played between Missouri and Arkansas. That uh, usually on Black Friday. So maybe they could bump that to a different date and, and renew that uh, Tiger Sooners game. They used to play for something. There, there was an old trophy they played for way back in the day, but I can't remember what it, what it was, but it's, it's, it fell off the face of the earth several probably decades just, ago. And no one, yeah, no probably one just it. was, was buried somewhere in Norman. It was the peace pipe. That's what it was. It was, they played peace for the peace pipe. pipe. Really? And now, uh, now the peace pipe is a little more mainstream in our culture, so maybe they can get the they can get the peace pipe going back again in that series. It uh, it but I keep keep harping on Oklahoma, but I, to me that's the big addition. I know Texas with 
Uh, but it bothers me that Oklahoma is not Oklahoma right now. I mean, it had a losing Who, who are they? <laughs> They're the laters. They're not the Sooners. They're the laters. Uh, remember when we used to be good? Yeah, I, I just, it's hard for, maybe it, maybe it will bounce back this year, but I kind of hate to see Oklahoma coming into the league with a six and six or five and seven record. Well, you've got them scheduled for a confidence booster in, in week one with, with Vanderbilt coming to town as you send LSU to Texas. We'll see what the SEC has in store when they reveal the 2024 schedule on Wednesday night. We'll see if they take our ideas into account. I highly doubt it. And, uh, John, I'm going to make my travel plans for Monterey in 2024. And uh, thanks for listening to us this week on SEC Football Unfiltered.